We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 today, continuing on with, with, our, with our summer scripture series. And so if you have your Bibles or if you have your scripture journals, go ahead and get there. We didn't get our scripture journals in this week, so if you're still looking for one, if you still need one, you can go to Amazon. You can grab those. They're called, they're called ESV scripture journals, and I think they're like 5 or $6 or something like that online. And so you can grab those. We will hopefully have a few of those back in stock next week, and you can, you can buy those here. Has this, I wonder, has this series helped anybody so far? Uh, has, has this series been beneficial so far for anybody? All right, I saw one person, me, right there. All right, cool. Well, I hope so, because I've enjoyed it so much. Like, I love, I, I love uh, doing this. I love that we do this every summer. I love that this has kind of become a tradition. Um, I really just cannot tell you how much I love teaching the Word of God, and, and especially, thank you so much, I lost my voice while singing. I've got to learn. Jordan, I need some singing lessons. I, he's not in here. He, he walked out. I, got, I need some singing lessons. I, I feel like I, I just yell, and I probably need to probably bring my voice from a different place so I don't blow my voice out every Sunday. Um, but I love this. I love walking through a, a book of the Bible just, just verse by verse, idea by idea, step by step, and, and kind of getting through it and walking through it. And, 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 and I tell you guys all the time, like I've said this before, I am a teacher by heart. Like sometimes you guys pull the preacher out of me, but I am a teacher by heart, and I love just being able to teach the Word of God and 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 and, and to dive into this and and walk through this um, ex- exegetically and expositionally, as it were. And so and so I I am I am just a teacher of the Word when it comes down to it. Um, I, I I consider myself a much better writer than a speaker, and I consider myself a much better teacher than a preacher. But this is the position that God has called me to, and so this is where I stand. So we're going to be in Hebrews, and we're going to be in verses, uh, we're going to start in verse 10, uh, but, but while you turn there and while you get there, there's something uh, that I want to address, and there's something I just want to talk about right here at the very beginning of our message this morning. I think uh, there's, it's no secret that there's some major things going on in our nation, and we've talked about this, and we've been talking about it for weeks, and and maybe some of you are tired of talking about it, but, but, but even right here in our community, there's some, there's some real issues, there's some real struggles, there's some real strife. And, and we had an event here last Sunday night uh, in the parking lot right outside of here, and, and we had probably three, three or four hundred people show up and, and just, uh, just come together. Uh, I was alongside my, my, my brother, Pastor Josh Childs from the Life Center in Abbeville, and, and, and some of the friends from his church were there as well. And, and so how incredible was that? Were you there? Did you enjoy that time of, of coming together? How many of you were there? All right, cool. So like half the people in the room, that's awesome. And so it was a lot of fun. I mean, come on, it was incredible. The bands like came together and brought some unbelievable worship to us. They, they, they brought heaven down in that parking lot, and it was unbelievable. And, and, and those that were praying, we had some people sh- just pray over our, our church and over our community, over our congregations, and, and they just spoke incredible words, and it was so evident through their prayers and, and during that moment and during that time that 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 the spirit was there in that parking lot with us. And, and I love being able to share and start that, that ever-important conversation with, uh, with PJC, with Pastor Josh Childs. And so uh, just really beginning the process of, of helping um, our churches and our community begin to bridge the gap. But, 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 but let, me, let me just say this, church, and let me just, I kind of want to just say this and kind of get this off my chest for a moment. That's not where it stops. 
Listen, we don't get to pat ourselves on the back because we had an event. We don't get to pat ourselves on the back because we had one successful event that brought two churches together, one predominantly white and one predominantly black. Like, that's not a feather in our cap, and that's not something that we can just stand on and say, well, we did this, so we did our part. Okay, we don't get to boast in the fact that we laid on the ground next to a person of color during a prayer time. We, we, that's, not, that's not what this is about. That's not what we're doing. That was just the beginning, church. There will be many more corporate opportunities to gather with other believers that might not look like you. That might not have the same skin color as you. And so I, I know I'm, I'm, I just want you to know what I'm doing and, and that I am working diligently to, to make things like that happen. I got to meet with several pastors and leaders in the area on Thursday night, uh, about half of them white, half of them black. And, and we sat in a room for two and a half hours and barely scratched the surface of what causes racial tension and what we as the collective body of Christ are going to do about it. But we heard each other. We listened to each other. We respected each other. Even though many of us came into that room that evening as strangers, we loved each other. Because we were reunited under the banner of Jesus. I have another lunch uh, scheduled this week for, with about 30 pastors on Tuesday. Again, it's probably about half and half as far as like racial representation goes. And, and, and I can't wait because I've been trying to get pastors in a room together for the last three years and trying to get pastors to come and to break bread and to have lunch. And I hate that it took race riots and protests and the unjust deaths of several people of color to make it happen. But I'm so thankful that it's happening because it's long overdue. And so I want you to know that, that your pastor and other pastors and, and faith leaders in our community are working hard to begin to bridge the gap. Because it doesn't, just, it doesn't just stop with a Facebook post. It doesn't just stop with one successful event. Listen to me, church. We, 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 just, we just don't get to do one event and feel like, like we've done something. It was amazing to gather, but if we only do it once, then what was the point? We have to, as believers, have a conviction to see racial equality in our lifetime. We need to, we need to be resolved to see every man, every woman, and every child treated as equals by the church, by society, by banks, by law enforcement, by the government. They are all made in the image of God. They are image bearers. God created each and every person, knit them together in their mother's womb, and they are important to God. They are loved by God, and we are commanded to love regardless of skin color, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual preference, regardless of economic class. Put whatever other title you want to put in there. Our job is to love. In Matthew 22, it says that the greatest commandment is to love God with all that we are. Every bit of us, every fiber of us, every ounce of us. And then the second, he said the second greatest commandment, it's like the first. It's to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I like to think of it, you know, sometimes we can be down on ourselves. So I like to think of it a different way. 
same, but, but, but different. Lo- love my neighbors like my family. Right? Love my neighbors like my family. I will do anything for my family. I'll do anything to keep them safe. I'll do anything, anything to make sure they're provided for. I'll do anything to make sure that they're, they're happy and they have their, their needs met. I love my family, and I'm supposed to love my neighbors like my family. I want you to notice in that command that Jesus didn't qualify who the neighbors were. And we've talked about this, church. He didn't say, love your neighbor unless they are black. He didn't say, love your neighbor unless they are poor, unless they are immigrants, Unless they are unlike you in any way. So Jesus, who's my neighbor? Yes. It's the answer to that question. Everyone. We are called to love like the Father loves unconditionally. And and you know what? That is impossible in our own power. But hallelujah. Praise God because he gave us the Holy Spirit to help. So now here's where the rub comes in. Because if you have the Spirit of God living in you, then there should be no hate within you. There should be no prejudice within you. We should not be walking around harboring ill will toward any of God's image bearers. Can we mess up? Yes. Can can thoughts creep in? Yes. So so what do we do? And I promise we're going to get to the actual message in a moment but I felt like I needed to help somebody this morning. We ask God to search our hearts, to reveal any areas where we are holding on to prejudice against other image bearers. Where where did the biases seep in from from our parents or our grandparents, from from TV shows, movies, from, from the news? Where did these biases start to seep in there's so much we could talk about when it comes to the different like forms of racism. We can't do that today. But, but, but we need to humbly ask God to show you where you might be missing the mark. God, show me where I might be missing the mark. And then we need to be prepared for God to wreck us. By revealing those dark corners. may not even realize we're there. And then we repent. You know what repent means? Repent means turning and going the opposite direction. We repent. We take a stand. And then we help other brothers and sisters come alongside us in the same way. That's what we do. That's what we do, church. And can I just say one more thing, and then, and then we'll open the word together. Because I want you to hear this, because this is where the Holy Spirit, I think, is giving me discernment as a pastor. And I believe God wants me to bring this word to you right now. Making a post on social media is not the answer. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. Making a post on social media is not the answer. Retweeting aggressive, militant, belittling, condescending, inflammatory content on social media is not the answer. 
Can I tell you something, church? Jesus is the answer. Come on, somebody. I don't, I don't, <laughs> Jordan, I don't know if they want the truth this morning. Listen, here's what I, here's what I see happening. And I, I'm, I, am a, I am a bystander. I watch, okay? I, 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 I don't, I'm, I'm on social media. You might see one post a week from for, for me when I talk about my kids or my family or some Saturday brunch because that's, that's pretty incredible. And I, I just don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't post, but it doesn't mean I'm not there. That doesn't mean I'm not watching. It doesn't need, mean I'm not, I'm not seeing everything going on. And here's what I see happening, church. We are compartmentalizing our lives and our worldviews, and it's playing out on social media and through activism. Too many Christians are separating their Christian worldview from their view of politics and social justice. And can I tell you, church, you can't do that. You, you, you don't take the Christian hat off whenever you go and you march. Like, like, Pastor, like Pastor Josh said uh, last Sunday, he said, he, he, said, uh, uh, he said, we represent Jesus all the, at all times and all places. These aren't, these aren't his words, but I'm, I'm, sum, I'm summarizing what he said. All times and all places, sure, go march. But in doing so, know that you are representing Christ in that moment. Can I offer just a little loving rebuke this morning? When you make a post on Facebook, on, on Twitter, on Instagram, shouting your political thoughts and, and degrading comments, you are still wearing the Christian hat. And everybody knows that. Everybody sees that. What kind of things are you allowing to represent you? And, and understand this, church, as ambassadors of Christ, what kind of things are you allowing to represent Christ with your voice? In the name of social justice. What do the organizations that we're reposting and retweeting, what, what do they really stand for? Are we looking into that? Or are we just sitting there and clicking away and shouting? Their calls might be a good one. But listen, are we sacrificing our witness in the process? I listened to a, a sermon last night from Pastor Carl Lentz. He's from Hillsong, New York. And I was, I, was, I was at a conference all weekend. Well, I wasn't at a conference. I was in my house, but the conference came to me digitally. And so I was, I was listening to Pastor Carl Lentz, and he said that our, that our role in all of this is simple, church. Our role in all of this is simple. We are not the saviors coming to save the day. We already have a savior. We are not the ones to judge everyone else's morality. We already have a judge. There already is a judge. Our job, our role is to proclaim the good news that is the gospel of Jesus. That's it. March, sure. Make signs, of course. You Use your voice for change, yes. Stand and take action by all means. But don't lose the main thing in the process, church. Don't make posts so you'll be accepted by any particular group or demographic. Don't share things because it makes you look more woke. We only need the acceptance of one person, and that's Jesus. We don't proclaim Black Lives Matter because an organization tells us to or because it's trendy. 
We proclaim it because the Bible tells us to. We proclaim it because it's truth from the word of God. We shout it because the Bible says it. The Bible tells us to root out oppression and to stand with the marginalized. Every person is created and loved by God. That's why we fight for justice and for equality. Please, church, let me, if I could give you anything right now in this moment, do not lose your focus on the main thing, the gospel of Jesus. Listen, there's, there's so much more I could say. But we need a sermon from the Word of God this morning, not rantings of myself. So I, I hope that helps somebody. I hope that helps somebody. Um, and, and if it didn't, then I hope it challenged somebody. Let's go to the Word. Hebrews chapter 2. All right. Hebrews chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, you can read along there if you have it in your Bible. If you have your scripture journal, open it up. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Whew, this is a good one. All right, here we go. Uh, for it was fitting, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, and the children of God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject or subject to lifelong slavery. For surely, verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become, uh, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of people. Verse 18, here it is. For because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. God, we, uh, we ask you right now in this house, in this place, in this moment, that you would bless the hearing and the reading of your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, do the things that I cannot do. Speak into the actual hearts of people. I can, I can speak and I can use words to speak into minds, but we ask you, Holy Spirit, right now to use your word, to use your influence, to use your power to speak into our hearts and souls this morning so that we may leave here changed. Changed because of your word. Changed because of your gospel. We love you, God. We give you this time. Be with us over these next moments. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, my time's already almost up, so... All right, the title for this morning, real quick, we're going to try to get through this, uh, is, is Through His Suffering. Through His Suffering. And, and honestly, I don't know if we'll make it through all this, but we'll try. Um, I, could, I could literally just do an entire sermon just on verse 10. Uh, that verse is the key for the rest of the verses in this chapter. This is a particular powerful verse because it talks about Jesus' suffering. And, and, and some thought, and, and some still think, the concept of a suffering Savior God was completely unacceptable and, and honestly even an inappropriate way to talk about God, to regard 
the Lord. And, and, that, and that's what Paul said in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians. He said, we preach Christ crucified. And to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. They don't get it. They don't see it. They don't understand. It doesn't make sense. The Messiah was supposed to be coming as a conqueror and a king. And listen, he is a king. He, he does subdue his enemies, but not through the sword. Right? He, he is a conqueror, but he doesn't conquer through a visible display of, of force. Our Jesus church wins the world and, and the cosmic throne by dying. He conquers, redeems, restores, and rules through suffering. And that's what they didn't get. That's what they didn't understand. And so that's why he's bringing it up. The author in Hebrews is bringing it up right now. I struggled with this word in, 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 uh, in verse 10. This idea, this, uh, the, the, and I think the receivers of this letter struggle with it too, this fitting. It was, it was fitting for Christ to suffer. Let's, let's read that verse. Uh, for it was fitting that he, this is it's God Almighty, for whom and by whom all things exist. He is the sovereign God over all creation, okay? And in, in bringing many sons to glory, we'll talk about what that means in just a moment, uh, should make the founder of their salvation, being Jesus, perfect through suffering. I don't want you to miss this, church. The work of all creation just like the work of all creation is of God, so is the work of all salvation. Just as God poured himself into the work of creation, Jesus poured himself into the work of salvation through suffering. What a demonstration of his power. Creation was done with a word, right? Like, like God spoke it and voila, there it was. It was done, it happened. But his speech wasn't enough to affect salvation. It, 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 took, it, it took not a, a word, but it took, listen to me, church, the word. Okay, come on, somebody. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's our Savior. His Son incarnate, who was humiliated, who suffered, who died, who resurrected, who ascended, and who is interceding at the right hand of God on your behalf right now. Do, do you want to see the power and the might of God? Look at all creation. Look all around us and look up to the stars and the heavens and the vastness of the space, and you can see the power of God. But do you want to see even more of God's character and power? Then look at his final word, Christ. For in him, we see an even greater display of his power and his moral character. What God did through his suffering son fits with his eternal power. It was fitting because it gave us a perfect savior. Listen, it was fitting, the verse says, because mankind in Christ was brought to glory. So what, what glory? What does that mean? To answer that question, uh, we, we have to start by seeing the glory that mankind fell from. And so there's this famous verse in Romans chapter 3 that probably many of you have quoted many times where, where Paul tells us that mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's really easy not to stop and think about what that really means because he doesn't just say, uh, he doesn't just say that sin is failing to uphold the law of God, which, which of course it is. Sin is law-breaking, but that is also, uh, a, a, it's also a failure to ascend to the proper glory. 
There is a glory that we have fallen short of. Mankind fell short of glory and still falls short of glory by doing exactly what it is that the author of Hebrews has already told us in the first four, four verses of this chapter not to do. He says, don't do this. Don't prefer anything over God. Jesus is better. And when we don't see that, when we don't recognize that, and we don't realize, we begin to fall short of that glory. If you consider anything greater than Christ, essentially, you're neglecting the great salvation of God. So as quick as I can, I want to give you three things that Jesus does through the suffering. Why was the suffering fitting? Because, they, because there was an agenda. Jesus was not caught off guard when he suffered. He knew it was coming, and he was ready for it. Well, that's not fair. You said that Jesus is relatable. You said that Jesus is like me, and Jesus is relatable. I don't see my sufferings coming. Really? Because the Bible tells us it's going to happen. The Word of God says, every time it talks about suffering, and it talks about us suffering as the people of God, it never says if you suffer. It always says when you suffer. When these trials and tribulations come, when things get bad, it is going to happen. You can't say that you didn't know it was going to happen because the word of God tells us it's going to happen. We might not always know when it's going to happen, but we know that it's coming and we can begin to prepare for it by, by, by using Jordan's word, saturate ourselves in the Lord. So, so three things, three things that happen through suffering. Number one, Jesus establishes himself, establishes himself as the perfect man. Establishes himself as the perfect man. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, here's the thing. like Maybe this language in verse 10, um, it, it might trip you up a little bit. It might get you a little bit, and I, and I get that and I understand that because I've been there. Uh, what does it mean that God made Jesus perfect through suffering. This, this is what we call uh, becoming language, okay? Uh, so, so he's becoming this way. He's becoming like this. And we've already seen this in, in Hebrews 1-4 where the author told us that after Jesus made uh, purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And it says this, uh, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That language can be kind of confusing, though, right? It maybe sounds like uh, to you that, that, that the author of Hebrews is teaching that Jesus maybe isn't fully God, since God can't really become anything. But I want to help you understand this this morning, because it's so very important to understand the Bible. What God is, he is. God is unchanging. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Let me, let me ask you this, because I know we got a lot of younger, younger people in the room this morning. Uh, have you ever created a character in a sports game, like, uh, like on Xbox, PlayStation, like a sports, you know? Uh, I, I can remember creating running backs on, on Xbox, on NCAA football, RIP. Man, I miss it. Uh, and so, so I would max his stats out. I would max his stats out, right? Like, like he, he would be 99 acceleration. He would be five yards up the, up the field before anybody even knew what was happening. The CPU didn't even know what was going on. He was gone, right? 99 speed. My running back could move. 
right? 99 strength. I would, I would slow down. I would be running, and I would slow down just so I can get a couple of good stiff arms on some people because he was 99 strength. He was so good. My created character had 99 everything, as perfect as he could get in the game. Listen to me, church, and I don't, this is going to sound cheesy. Our God is 100. He is maximally perfect. He is beyond improvement. So yes, God in his essence can't become. He is. As he revealed himself to Moses, I am. Meaning at the core of God is perfect being. It's pure. It's unwavering. So when the word tells us that Jesus is exalted, or when it says that he is uh, made the heir of something that he was previously not an heir of, or that he became superior to angels, or that he was made perfect through suffering, there is a key to understanding this language, and it's very simple. It is always given in reference to Jesus' ministry and mission as the incarnate Lord, not to his divine essence. Maybe let me make it a little bit easier. This language refers to what Jesus accomplishes as the God-man. So in his humanity, by accomplishing his mission to suffer, to save many sons and daughters for glory, Jesus was made perfect in some sense. Obviously, if we read the rest of Hebrews, this isn't saying that Jesus was sinful before this. This letter specifically is adamant uh, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he is Perfect, and so Jesus is being established as the perfect man, the second Adam, the new, the, the head of the new humanity. And, and when we talk about perfection in the Bible, it isn't always a, I want you to know this, it isn't always a reference to moral perfection. It can also be a reference to something being complete, to being whole, to being finished. And so through his suffering, Jesus' perfection was proved, it was established. Jesus was shown to be worthy of what the, what the first head of the old humanity being Adam, was unworthy. And so the suffering showed Jesus' perfection in the flesh. This is why later in the book in Hebrews 5, uh, we'll be told that Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. All right, this tells me I got 10 minutes left, so I'll just keep going. All right, so uh, for it was this verse, let's, let's just read, go back to the scripture. Uh, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, and I and the children of God uh, and the children God has given me. So here's the second point. I want you to write this down. The second thing that happens through Jesus' suffering, Jesus restores a new humanity. I want you to look at uh, that word founder. I want you to think about that word founder in verse 10. It's, it's actually a very difficult word to translate from Greek to English uh, because we don't have a word that perfectly corresponds to it. Uh, we, don't have it we don't have the perfect word for it. It means at the same time someone is the source of, uh, of uh, or, or the initiator of a thing, at the same time, someone's the source or the initiator of a thing, and also the captain of it. And, and not just captain works here, but many other words can go in there, uh, depending on like your translation, leader, author, founder, hero, champion, pioneer. No matter which one you go with, both senses of the word apply to Jesus. 
He is both the initiating source of our salvation and the commanding captain of that salvation. And the whole context of Hebrews 2 is to show Jesus as the head of a new humanity that is being restored to himself. In Colossians 1, Paul says this, that he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. There it is, church. Jesus is the founder and the captain of our salvation, the head of a new humanity, redeemed and restored in Christ. You remember we talked about, um, I, think, I think it was last week, Psalms chapter 8. Um, it might have been the week before. We talked about, about puny man, right? Like puny humans. Puny man was made the ruler over all creation. But he fell, and he fell hard. But through Jesus, our second and perfect Adam, man is brought back into the glory that he was made for, and he did this through suffering. As Paul said, he made peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 11 uh, tells us that God brings us to the glory through total sanctification. That's a big church word. Sanctification that describes the process of moving from justification to glorification. Which I recognize brings in two more hard words to the equation. Probably sounded a lot like defining a word with that same word to you, right? That's okay. Justification, let me, let me break these down for you just real quick. Justification is being made righteous before the Lord. Essentially, this is what happens at, at salvation. Glorification comes when we die and we are no longer in the presence of sin. So sanctification is the entire process of becoming more like Jesus as we walk from new birth in Christ to earthly death. It says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Literally, in the, in the Greek, this fra- uh, the, the phrase that is, uh, he who satisfies and those who are satisfied, it, sa- it says they, 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 all, they are all of one. What, what, what does that mean, I wonder? I think it means in light of the context of Hebrews 2 and the psalm it quotes that Jesus, who sanctifies us and the humanity that he sanctifies are one, we share in a common humanity because he came. He put on the skin suit. He, he came to this earth. He sanctifies a new man, humanity by becoming one with us, by becoming a perfect man and then bringing mankind up to the glory that we have fallen short of. So I want you to think about it like the sacrificial logic of the Old Testament where you would offer uh, the first fruits of a thing to the Lord in order to make the whole of that thing, holy. So you would offer the first fruits of, your, of, of the meat or, or of the dough, and, and that would make the whole thing holy. So Jesus is the first fruits of humanity, offered to make a new, holy humanity. He was crowned with glory through his death, burial, and resurrection, his suffering. And now we find that he brought many sons and daughters to that same glory through that suffering. And listen, I know that like, I'm, I'm shooting this fast, and that's some kind of high theology, but, but what does that mean? It means simply this, Jesus died to bring you glory. Come on, somebody, that's good news today. Because he suffered, you are restored. Because he died, you are redeemed. Because he gave his life, you get to have life. Because he paid your debt, you are set free. Because he showed you mercy, you get to walk in grace. Because he loved you. You can know real love. 
as it says in verse 12, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And this part doesn't fit into my nice three-point sermon, but can I touch on this for one second? Verses 11 through 12, and band, you guys can come on back up. It says this, uh, that's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Verse 12, uh, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Even when we are sinful and unlovely, even when we don't know him and we are living only for ourselves, Jesus still identifies us as family. It's, it's a call back to Psalm 22, which we don't have time to read, but, I think, about a, uh, but think about a friend or family member that you have that does things in public that you don't approve of. Things that might embarrass you. I love my children, and I love how their tiny, young little brains work. But I remember all of our kids at one point in time, they, they said things that were inappropriate, and they embarrassed Jen and I at, at grocery stores or at Walmart or you know, out shopping or whatever. Why is he so fat? With an earshot of that person, of course. You, they stink, talking about the person in line in front of us. <laughs> Naomi asked one time, uh, we were walking through TJ Maxx, and she asked one time very loudly, is that person going to die soon? To this older lady who was standing, like, right there. <laughs> Just <laughs> embarrassing stuff. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How much... That's the stuff that we do embarrass God. He's given us life, yet we sit around and waste it on unimportant things. He's given us a voice and a platform, but we use it to, to spew hateful speech and to cut other people down. He's given us salvation, and we keep it for ourselves, never sharing it with anyone else. How embarrassing that must be to God. What a pathetic display we must be. But no. Verse 11 and 12 says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. How unbelievable is it that the divine and messianic son of God would identify himself without embarrassment with the sinful, struggling siblings? My God. Okay, let's, let's wrap this up. I do actually have another point. I don't, uh, let me see if I can squeeze it in real quick. Uh, here's the third thing, because this is important and this is good, church. Here's the third thing. Jesus, through his suffering, Jesus defeats the enemy. He, he defeats the enemy. In verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. Since, since humanity, uh, since the humanity Jesus came to save is flesh and blood, he himself took on flesh and blood to save them. Why did he need to take on flesh and blood? Let's keep reading. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. He needed flesh and blood because those uh, flesh and blood, fallen humans, us, had earned the penalty of suffering and death. And so we needed someone to stand in our place who could take that penalty. Jesus did that. He took on a body that could die, and then he did that on the cross. And as he did that, he did something else. He destroyed the power of death. Verse 14, therefore children share uh, in death and blood. Uh, th through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The death of Christ deposed the devil. By taking away the power of accusation 
before God. He goes on, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he, he helps the offspring of Adam. That's us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. Jesus took away, let me give you just one more quick thing. He took away the weapon the devil had, accusation, by bearing the wrath of God for our sin. That's what it means by when it says that he made propitiation for the sins of people. Think of this. Think of propitiation as the most powerful, incredible sponge you've ever seen. It's a wrath-bearing, wrath-absorbing sacrifice. Come on, somebody. This is one of those truths that just gets me excited. This truth is one that makes me want to shout for joy and, and weep with wonder at the same time. One of the great themes of the New Testament is that when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he disarmed the demonic rulers and authorities, and that when he rose from the dead, he ejected the enemy from the heavens and replaced our accuser, that is Satan, with an advocate himself. The incarnation, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus disarmed Satan, destroyed his power, and put him in open shame. The power of death. And here's the deal, church. Before the cross disarmed him, Satan could use our guilt as a weapon. He could stand before the throne of God and relentlessly accuse us. But please hear this. He, he could even be completely correct in everything that he said about us. Remember, remember Job? Uh, the devil accused him before the throne of God. But guess what? The accuser has been cast out. Praise God. Jesus cast him out by destroying his one weapon, which was our absolute guilt before God. Jesus paid the debt. He made himself the propitiation for our sins, and he satisfied the wrath of God. Who can accuse us now? Who can stand against us now? The answer is nobody. Oh, this is the last verse. I know we're going long. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't help but be excited about God's word. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Wow. I could spend literally a whole nother message just on this verse. Listen, listen, listen. Let me, if, if we see an outlet without a cover on it, we have, we have outlet covers in our house. I don't know if you guys do that, but we have small kids and we're trying to like, adoption type stuff and we have we have outlet covers if you see an outlet without a cover do you stick a do you stick like a fork in it so that we can help our kids with that later no when we see someone doing drugs do we go and experience that for the sake of helping our friends and family later no but Jesus knew that we would be tempted. He knew the enemy would come at us with everything he's got. So Jesus subjected himself, the king of glory, the son of God, the light of the world, the word that was at the beginning left his throne at the right hand of God to come to earth and put himself in my shoes. He suffered for me. He was tempted for me and for you. And listen, Listen to me, church. Some of you have been in a bad place for the last few weeks, the last few months. COVID-19 has worn you down. The, the, the news and the negativity has worn you out. The racial tension has wrecked you lately. Your family has been struggling. You, you haven't been able to work enough. You've spent your stimulus check, and now you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how to make things stretch. Staying at home has led to more bad habits than good habits. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've subjected yourself to, to eating unhealthy or, or being lazy or maybe you've fallen into, into porn. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're, maybe you're just sitting in apathy right now, but can I encourage you, church? Whatever you're going through, in your mind or in reality, Jesus has been there. He's felt it. 
Our Savior did not come on a white horse with a sword, at least not this time. He came as a man. Skin and bones, he experienced what we experienced so he can walk alongside us and relate to us better. If, if it's a dark valley that you're currently going through, Jesus went through it first. If you're being attacked by negativity and haters at home or at work or on the internet, Jesus has stood toe-to-toe with the enemy. It's a, if it's an affliction of the mind like depression or anxiety you're battling, Jesus has been alone for 40 days with his thoughts in the desert and he came out victorious. If it's fear or shame that is holding you back, Jesus defeated both on the cross for you. If you are uncertain about what's next for what God has for you, Jesus gave us a helper to guide us. He is our advocate, church. He is our mediator. He is not ashamed to call us family. He disarmed and deposed Satan. He defeated sin and shame. He restores us to new humanity. He died to bring you and me to glory. Can somebody praise him today? God, we love you and we thank you. I know I went a couple minutes over. But God, you are working and you are moving in this place. You are moving in our hearts and in our lives. So God, I just pray. I know some of us have kids to go pick up from Legacy Kids and Littles. I know some of us have lunch plans but I don't want to rush through this moment, God. This moment is your moment, God. We give it to you. We lay it down before you. We ask you that in light of what we just read, in light of what we just heard, in light of what we just experienced, Holy Spirit, that you would do a new work in us. That you would fill us. If there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, God, I pray that right now, you would speak clearly and directly over them. You would call them to become a son and daughter of the Most High. I thank you, God, for your son. I thank you for his sacrifice. I thank you as much as I hate and it destroys me on the inside to think of Jesus suffering on this earth at the hands of puny, mere, despicable humans. It is also so unbelievably comforting and encouraging to know that you would go through that for us. May we go through that for other people. May we be the love that you So God, we thank you and we praise you in this moment. We give you all glory, all praise, and all honor. And as we stand and as we sing, as we close this service out, continue moving, continue speaking, so that whenever we leave out of this place, we are changed. When we go out of here, we are ready to face the world. We are ready to go back to work. We are ready to go back to our homes and to our neighborhoods. We are ready to carry you throughout the rest of this week. God, we pray that you would move in us in these next moments. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.